We have two readings this evening. Uh, the first is Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 17. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. The second reading is from Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 to 14. At that time, Jesus went through the cornfields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some ears of corn and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. This is God's word. Good evening. Good evening again. Welcome to Christchurch Mayfair. Uh, my name's Richard. If we haven't met, a member of the staff here. 
we are talking about rest tonight. We're thinking about rest, as Phil said. Uh, to be clear, that isn't the same as resting. So if you do notice, especially on a warm evening, someone to the side of you drifting off, stab them with a pencil. Uh, that's the loving thing to do tonight. Uh, we are thinking about, we're thinking about rest. Should we pray again as we turn to God's word? God, our Father, we praise you that as we've just heard Jesus declare, he is the Lord of the Sabbath. And of course, not just of the Sabbath, but of all things. And you know that as as so often, uh, we come to you with confusion in a world that's complicated, with guilt in a world where we don't live up to uh, our ideals or yours. You know that we come to you needing you to speak, needing clarity. And so we thank you that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, that he understands, that he understands us, that he understands this world. Please tonight, would he speak to us? Would we listen? Would he teach us how to live well in this world? Amen. We heard, didn't we, right at the beginning of the service, those words from Matthew 11. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And of course, you don't have to look too far in London to find someone who looks either weary or burdened or both. You might be able to find them in this room. Uh, Those words, weary, burdened, weary is, it's the end of a long day or a long week or a long year, and there's nothing left in the tank. Uh, Bilbo Baggins loves it like being butter scraped over too much bread. There is just nothing left, except there's no let up because tomorrow's coming and then tomorrow and then tomorrow and we're weary. Burdened, in some sense, it's the opposite. Weary, it's a long-term thing, it's a chronic thing. Burdened, it's acute. It is literally carrying too much. It might not be for very long. It's the the walk home from the supermarket or back from holiday carrying one too many bag and the normal 15-minute walk that's fine just becomes an Olympic event. Because we're burdened. So last week on Sunday morning, uh, coming to church, uh, they closed Piccadilly down there uh, for the, the beginning of the 10k run that they were doing last Sunday morning. And one half of Piccadilly was packed with people about to set off on this run when I was coming in. Uh, I was exhausted just looking at them all stood there. Just hundreds, thousands of people stood there. And the, the other side of Piccadilly was just the first steps of the race, the run. And it's funny, even right at the very beginning, some people set off sprightly, we're enjoying this. We do this every Sunday morning. Some people already just walking. <laughs> oh my gosh, they've got a long trip ahead of them. Life can very often kind of feel like those end stages of a long run. We've been going for a long time, it feels like. Foot after foot after foot after foot. We long for it to be over, but there's more. We're weary. And then just as it seems like maybe the end's in sight, maybe there's a break coming, maybe there's rest, someone comes along helpfully and says, here's a backpack full of rocks. Why don't you take this and carry this with you for the rest of the way? We're weary, we're burdened. And very often life feels like that. And Jesus' prescription is, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Listen to me, he says in the next verse. Learn from me, and I will give you rest for your souls. So because that is what we do every Sunday as we gather. We come to Jesus, we listen to him. We find in his word he gives us rest, especially this evening as we're thinking about what the Bible says about rest. We're coming to Jesus 
Because we know we need rest for ourselves. That's what he offers tonight. That's what he promises. You'll know if you've been around, we are looking at the Ten Commandments over the summer in our evening uh, services. And uh, these Ten Commandments, the Ten Foundational Rules for God's people, Israel and the Old Testament. And as we've seen week after week, these are laws of freedom. These aren't oppressive laws as we instinctively, we don't like laws. But these are laws of freedom. And maybe that's nowhere more obvious than tonight, where the law is have a day off. Have a holiday. Rest. That's a law I can live with. These are laws of freedom. And tonight, as uh, through this series, because these are themes that come up all the way through the Bible and how do they apply to us who don't live in Israel, we are going to sort of move through the Bible and see uh, the different ways this law is understood, these themes are brought out. So uh, tonight you see an outline on the back of the service sheet. It falls into two halves. The first half, we're following the story of rest through the Bible from beginning to end very quickly. Uh, the story of rest in the Bible. And in the second half, thinking, so what about for us? Where do we fit? In that story, what does rest mean for us today? That's the plan. That's the plan. There are three stops in our story of rest through the Bible. The first is we were made for rest. And that's the point that's brought out by the commandment as it was read. If you've dropped it, uh, page 78, Exodus chapter 20. And listen to this commandment again. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you should labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son, nor daughter, nor your manservant, or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For, this is the reason, because in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. God worked for six days and then he rested. Now we're not talking about tonight, the sermon's already too long. Uh, We're not talking tonight about uh, creation, evolution, six days, how do you understand those things? If you want, we can talk about that at length after the service. Uh, It is just worth saying, if you're not a Christian, and this is the point where you stop reading the Bible, creation in seven days, it's clearly nonsense. Uh, Don't let that be the thing that puts you off. Ever since the beginning of the church, Christians have debated, how do we understand that? Is it literal? Is it metaphorical? All through the history of the church, Christians have disagreed. It's not just since Darwin, the church has gone, this is a bit awkward, we better come up with a new way of understanding this. And so if you became a Christian who doesn't believe the world was created in seven days, you'd have plenty of company in this room. You'd have plenty of company through church history. Please don't let that be the thing that puts you off. But we're not talking about that, we're talking about this commandment. And at the very least, this commandment shows us there's a pattern. God worked for six days, and so you work for six days and then rest. That's God, that's us. We follow his pattern. Now I used to think the logic was something like this. God had a universe to make. Quite a big job. I guess none of us are that busy this week. Uh, God had a universe to make, and yet he managed to do it in six days, and he still had a day off. Now, if you in a week have more to do than make a universe, you can work for seven days. If you've got less, you, you can take a day off as well. I used to think that was how the logic worked. But I never found it convincing, mainly because he's God, which feels like cheating. Uh, And he didn't even need the time. If you read in Genesis, on day one, let there be light, Uh, there is, all right, we're done. That's day one. Uh, You can watch EastEnders. Uh, 
So it never seemed quite right. It felt a bit like cheating. But actually, that isn't what these passages mean. These passages mean that we were made for rest. That's the point of it. And there's the two reasons you can see that. The first is about the Saturday and the second is about the Sunday. In uh, Jewish thought, the way uh, the Jewish calendar works, Sunday is the first day of the week, it's day one. Saturday is the last day of the week, it's day seven. And so on the Saturday, the seventh day at the end of uh, the week in Genesis 1, God's rest, it's not inactivity. He is sustaining the universe that he's made. The Bible is very clear. We depend on God for every moment, for every breath, for everything. If for a second he forgot about us, just started daydreaming, we would dissolve into nothing. So God isn't inactive on the Saturday. He is still, in one sense, at work. He's still sustaining everything. But there is a difference. And the clue to that difference comes on the Sunday the first day of the next week, where God doesn't pick up his tools again and go off and make another universe. God starts resting on the Saturday, on day seven, and then on Sunday he's resting. And on Monday he's resting, and on Tuesday he's resting. The seventh day in Genesis 1 doesn't end with evening and morning and then another day. It's a day that extends, a day that goes on. God's rest. See, God's rest is not inactive, but it is permanent. Because God has finished his work and now he's enjoying it. If you want to think what rest means in the Bible, it certainly isn't inactivity. A definition might be something like it's peace and it's enjoyment. To rest is to have peace. To be in a world where everything is right is where it should be. And so to enjoy that world. So... uh, Emma and I, my wife, a slightly unusual situation in London of having a garden. We live far enough out that we have a bit of a garden in the back. When we moved into our flat, it was a jungle, really, more than a garden. Uh, and so we've been trying over the last year or so to tame it. Uh, we're getting somewhere. Uh, it's not done yet. Neither of us really knows what we're doing. Um, and so sometimes, of course, gardening is fun. Uh, you get things done. Sometimes it's just weeding and a bit dull and a bit of a pain. But in that setting, to rest, when you've been working in a garden, to rest, it's not to go inside and make a cup of tea and watch the telly. To rest is to be in the garden. It's to invite friends around for a barbecue. It's to make a salad with the things that you've grown. We'll never do that. Uh, But rest is to enjoy the fruit of the work that you've done. It's not just to stop, it's to enjoy. In a world where there's peace, where things are right, And so that is God's rest. God's rest. He enjoys what he's made. And he says to Adam and Eve, come and enjoy it with me. He puts them in a paradise garden. A garden where they work, but where their work would have been pure rest. Because everything was right. I don't know if they had a day off, one in seven. I don't know if they needed it. But their work was pure rest. Imagine working. Imagine gardening in a world where there are no weeds and no sore backs. Imagine DIY in a world where there are no banged thumbs and no wonky shelves. Imagine research in a world where there are no dead ends and no misreadings on the instruments. Teaching in a world where there's no behaviour management and the kids just get it. Imagine medicine in a world where there's no medicine because no one gets sick. Imagine doing all of that in a world where there's no office politics, where there's no dishonest contractors, where there's no demanding clients where the computers don't crash. That is the kind of work 
that Adam and Eve had to do. Most of us would know in our work there is some joy and some frustration. For then the frustration was removed, their work was pure rest, pure enjoyment. And that is what we were made for. We were made to rest, to live in a world where all is right, where we can enjoy that world, enjoy one another and enjoy God. We were made for rest. But, but, in a decision of blinding stupidity, which every one of us repeats every day, Adam and Eve decided we would rather have a world where we pretend to be God than a world where we let God be God. And that's how we ended up with this world. Because God kindly, graciously said, okay, have a go. He handed over the reins of the universe and said, you run it and we'll see what happens. And it turns out we are not as good at being God as God is. And so we end up in a world like this, a world that's broken, a world that's hostile, a world where there's frustration, a world where every day at work is marked by pain and disappointment and toil. We were made for rest, but this is what we've landed ourselves in. And so God says, remember. Remember, that's what this commandment was about. Remember what you were made for. Of the Ten Commandments, eight start with you shall not. This one is different. This one starts remember. Remember the Sabbath. Take one day a week to remember what you were made for. You weren't made for a world like this. You were made for a world where everything is right. You were made for rest. That's the beginning of the story. Uh, We get quicker from here on. Uh, We were made for rest. They were saved for rest. If you could just flick on to page 184 in the Bibles. That's Deuteronomy chapter 5, on page 184. Forty years later, God's people are given the Ten Commandments again. They're about to go into the land that God has promised to them, and they get a, a second run just to make sure they've got it of the Ten Commandments. Most of them are the same. This one is different. It's the same commandment, but the reason is different. Let me read you, page 184, Deuteronomy 5, verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither your son or daughter, your manservant or maidservant, nor your ox, your donkey or any of your animals, nor the alien within your gates, so that your manservant and maidservant may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. And that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. See, it's a different reason here. Observe the Sabbath, why? Because you were slaves. So for decades God's people had been slaves in Egypt. And for decades it hadn't mattered whether they wanted to take Saturday off or not. Any more than it mattered whether they wanted to spend all of August on a beach by the Met. Because they were slaves. Every day, every hour was at the whim of their slave masters, who in Egypt were cruel, were brutal, and worked them to death. You were slaves. You worked every day because you had no choice. But now, now the Lord has rescued you with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm. The Lord has brought you out of Egypt, brought you out of slavery, and given you freedom. And now, the setting of Deuteronomy, he's taking you into the land. You're on the borders of it, the land that through the Bible is described as a land of rest. A land where you will have peace. A land that you will enjoy. 
And so don't live like slaves. Don't live like slaves. We're not back in the Garden of Eden. Your work will be marked by toil and frustration. So in the new land, you have to build cities and you have to plant crops and you have to file your taxes. And all of that will be frustrating at times. So do that for six days in a week and for one day, stop. In the land I've given you, take a day every week to enjoy it. To enjoy the land, to enjoy each other, to enjoy me. Because otherwise, I might as well have left you in Egypt. If in the land of freedom you're going to live like slaves, why did I bother bringing you out of the land of slavery? Take a day in the week to remember, to remember what I've done and to enjoy it. They were saved to rest, but, but the history of Israel makes it very clear this wasn't the real deal. And we could look at it if we had time. Hebrews 3 and 4 makes it very clear. This was a picture of the rest that we need and the rest we will have because of Jesus. Because the true issue actually wasn't their slavery in Egypt. That was brutal. It was awful. But the history of God's people reveals that the true issue was their slavery to sin. That there was something inside them that was enslaved, that was captivated, that was drawn away from God to rebel against him and to follow other gods, to to define their own meaning for life. And that was the issue. The issue was they couldn't shake the thing inside them that made them hate God. And what they learned again and again through their history was that nothing ruins a good night's sleep like being at odds with the God who made the universe. They were rescued for for rest. They were rescued for rest, but... It wasn't what they needed. It wasn't all of what they needed. It was a picture of the third thing, we were saved for rest. And this is the real deal. We were saved for rest. And we were saved for rest by the work of Jesus. The New Testament says again and again and again, it couldn't be clearer, your works had nothing to do with you being saved any more than my works had to do with me being saved. But Jesus' work, that was it. And so on the Friday... One Friday in history that we call Good Friday, the sixth day of the week. Jesus on the cross had the greatest burden we have ever carried loaded onto him. Our sin, our rebellion, our guilt was loaded onto Jesus. And covered in sweat in the heat of the day, Jesus toiled under the anger of God in anguish. Until he said, it is finished. And his work was done, or rather, our work was done by him for us. It was finished. And so on the Saturday, the seventh day, the Sabbath, his body rested in the ground. And on the eighth day, the beginning of a new week, rose to new life. The beginning of a new week, the beginning of a new creation. Because just like in Genesis, God finished his work and then rested Jesus has finished his work. He has finished with our sin, with our guilt. And now he rests in a new week. He rests. And just as Adam and Eve were invited to join God in his rest, the Christian is the one who knows that one day he or she will share in Jesus' rest. will be able to say, it is finished because he finished it for us. We were saved by Jesus for rest. But, but we're not there yet. 
Christians live in a world that's marked by work and toil and frustration and sweat and anguish, looking for a world that is full of, purely, peace and enjoyment and rest. And so Christians now need rest, just like God's people did in the Old Testament. Christians need rest to remember God, to remember what we were made for, to remember where we're going. Christians need rest. That is the story of rest in the Bible. We were made for rest, they were saved for rest. Sort of, not the full thing. We were saved for rest fully. Okay, what about us? Where do we fit in that story? What does it mean for us? Because it's not going to mean for us exactly what it meant for them. They were a nation, a country, living in a particular land, a particular time. Christians are scattered through uh, the nations. So what does it mean for us? There's lots we could say. We're going to do four things. Four things you'll see on the sheet. Don't be a Pharisee, don't be a slave, don't be a slave master, come to Jesus. We're going to think about those four things. And the first one, don't be a Pharisee. If you could find again our second reading, page 977. This is the last page we'll jump to. Page 977, one of Jesus' many clashes with the Pharisees. The Pharisees, the religious teachers of Jesus' time. And the thing you need to know about them, especially for this story, is they love rules. They love rules. This is in, this is out. This is good, this is bad. This is kosher, this is not what kosher is, the Jewish food law. This is in, this is out. So on the Sabbath, they had plenty of rules. Uh, looking at it this week, my favourite one is this. If you spit on the Sabbath, because you need to clear your mouth, uh, if you spit on the Sabbath, it's fine if you spit onto a rock or a stone or a brick. That's fine. If you spit onto the ground, then your saliva has made mud in the dirt, which is like making mortar, which is work, if you're a builder. So if you're a builder, you can spit anywhere you like, uh, but not on the dust, because then you're making mud and that counts as work. This was... The Pharisees, they spent their life, this is in, this is out. Some of it was ridiculous. And here's another example, chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the cornfields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some ears of corn and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath. This is one of their rules. Uh, you're walking through a field, you just pick a bit of uh, food, you imagine we don't have wheat, an apple off the tree and eat it. You've harvested on the Sabbath. How dare you? And Jesus says, in this exchange, the Pharisees have made two big mistakes. These are mistakes for them, these are mistakes for us that we want to avoid. The Pharisees have forgotten, they've ignored, firstly, the complexity, and secondly, the curse. They've ignored the complexity and the curse when it comes to thinking about rest. So firstly, they've ignored the complexity. So look down at verse 5. Part of Jesus' answer, Jesus says to them, Haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? Jesus just think about it. On the Sabbath, the Jewish day of rest, when part of the day was they went to the temple to worship, the priests in the temple, they're working. It's their busiest day. It's like vicars on a Sunday. They can't take it off. That's when people are coming to the temple. And of course, that's in the law. That's what happened. Uh, maybe more strikingly, in Nehemiah 13, Nehemiah, in charge of the city of Jerusalem, is so upset that people are trading on the Sabbath, people are buying things, selling things in the city square, he pays some soldiers, Jewish soldiers, to stand around the gates of the city so that no one can come in and out and trade. 
Nehemiah employs people on the Sabbath. Their job on the Sabbath is to stop people doing their job on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, it's complicated. For us to rest, some work does need to happen. And if it's complicated for him, it's even more complicated in London today because they lived in a culture where basically everything did shut down on a Saturday. We live in a, in a city that is on seven days a week. And so it's even more complicated. Uh, it's complicated because most of us who've come to church on a Sunday could only come here because someone drove a bus or a train. It's complicated because the shops in London will be open on a Sunday whether we visit them or not. It's complicated because if you read a paper tomorrow morning, someone wrote it and edited it and printed it today. It is complicated, Jesus would say, even more so today. The Pharisees, they ignore the complexity. Let's just have some rules. Let's say this is in, this is out. You can spit on a stone, but not the dirt. Jesus says they've missed the point. They've ignored the complexity. And then secondly, they've forgotten the curse. They've forgotten that this is a world that is fallen, that is broken, that is not what it was meant to be, that is cursed. And so look down, this is the second little fight. Uh, from verse 9 onwards in Matthew 12. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue. And a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, won't you take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. It's an obvious point he's making. If you have a sheep and it falls in a hole, you're not going to just spend the afternoon, oh, that's a shame, isn't it? But let's just enjoy our Sunday roast and let's uh, play a game of Scrabble and go to bed. And when the alarm clock goes off tomorrow morning, then we can pull the sheep out. You pull the sheep out. It's in pain, it's in distress, it needs it. In a cursed world, in a broken world, there will be times when we plan to rest, but we can't. Because part of rest is peace. It's peace and enjoyment. And where there isn't peace, when things aren't as they should be, when there is obvious brokenness, pain right in front of us, we can't just ignore it and enjoy ourselves. A doctor who's decided to take uh, the weekend off to go down and is on a train to the beach to enjoy a weekend of rest. But here's coming over the tannoy. Uh, there's a passenger in carriage three who's seriously sick. Is there a doctor on the train? The doctor can't say, I'm just going to enjoy my weekend and ignore that because I'm resting today. I was talking last week with a woman who's a stay-at-home mum of a one-year-old. And uh, the way it works in their family is she's at home, obviously, with uh, her son through the week. On Saturday, when Dad's at home, uh, he's in charge of the baby. So just to give her a, a tay that's a bit different, a bit of a break, Dad's in charge on a Saturday. He does the nappies, he does the feeds. Well done, that Dad. But of course, if one week he's sick, he's in bed, he can't do it. She's not going to say to the baby, I'm afraid it's my day off. Uh, you, you just sit there and cry for 24 hours, and tomorrow morning we'll get back to business. Of course not. Someone who has sick relatives is going to spend a lot of their weekends travelling to visit them. When there is a genuine work crisis, I use that word crisis deliberately, I think something that happens more than once a quarter isn't a crisis, it's normal. Uh, but when there is a genuine work crisis, sometimes we'll have to forgo rest so that we can fix it. In a broken world, sometimes we make plans to rest, and we can't. 
Jesus says the world is complex and it's cursed. Don't forget those things as you think about this commandment. Some of us will come to different conclusions on this. Some of us will disagree with the decisions that other people make on a commandment like this. Sometimes it might be right to to gently ask the question, how are you thinking these things through? But sometimes it'll be right to say, yeah, we disagree, but it's complex. And to show each other grace, to show each other love, not to fight, not to fall out over disagreeing on something like this that is complicated. So the first thing there, don't be a Pharisee. Don't be a Pharisee. The second thing, I wonder if this is more of an issue for us. Don't be a slave. Don't be a slave. See, by the logic of Deuteronomy 5, if you work non-stop, if there is never time for a break, and I don't mean just to slump in front of the TV and crawl into bed until the alarm clock goes again, but to rest, to enjoy. If there's never time to enjoy the world that God has given us, if there's never time to enjoy one another, to enjoy him, there's never time to pray, never time to come together as church and hear him speak, then we are living as slaves. That's the logic of Deuteronomy 5. When you're slaves, you work seven days a week. When you're free, you don't. You rest. And of course, for some people, that is because they are genuinely slaves. There is no other option. The only way to have enough food to eat and a roof over their head is to work non-stop. But that's true for very few people in this room, if any. For us, when we work like slaves, when we live like slaves, it is because we've chosen to live like slaves. Of course, it's very easy to try and uh, push that choice somewhere else. It's the pressures of busy London life. It's the demands that others have on me. But it is important to own up to, when we live like slaves, it's because we've chosen to. This is the thing that's most struck me about thinking about this commandment over the last couple of weeks. There is nothing that is in my diary that I didn't choose to put there. Now, it might not be directly. It might be something that someone's asked me to do. It might be something that someone's demanded that I do. Different of us will be different here. The pressures will be in different places. It might be that the social program, the Facebook invitations are relentless. The people you want to keep up with, the, the friendships you want to maintain, you can only do it by being out far more evenings than is sustainable for you. But the reality is there is a choice. Facebook has a no button. You don't have to go. It might be family, uh, parents, that expect you to be there to see them more often than is possible, given your other responsibilities. It's not easy, but there is a choice to go or not to go. It might be that at church, we've asked you to do more than you can bear. And because the people asking are so nice, and because there's a need, you have to, but there's a choice to say no. Of course, for many of us, the big one is work. The big one is work. But even there, the reality is, we do choose what we do. There's nothing to stop us, unless you're genuinely a slave, unless this is the only job you can do that means there'll be food on the table and a roof over your head. There's nothing to stop us talking to the boss and saying, how about Mondays, Thursdays, can I go home at a sensible time just to make some space in the week? Nothing to stop us saying, 
how about I go from five days to four in a week? When it comes to it, nothing to stop us saying, I'm going to hand in my notice. When it comes to it, when you push down, there is nothing in our diaries, in our calendars, that we didn't choose to put there. Now, it might be that, like me, some of you think about those sort of things, and there's something inside that says no. That might be true for some things, but I can't give up that thing because... I can't say no to them because... And the end of that sentence is hugely revealing about the things that we're enslaved by and to. Because we know none of us is genuinely enslaved to our boss. None of us is genuinely enslaved to a family or a social calendar or even the church. We can choose to say no, but sometimes we can't. And when we can't, it's because we're enslaved by, we're captivated by something else. For most of us, most of the time, it'll be a whole mix of things. It'll be things like being enslaved to the drive to prove ourselves to ourselves, to someone else. Being enslaved by the envy of someone else and a need to have what they have. Being enslaved by the fear of missing out on some experience or some friendship. Being enslaved by the dream of a lifestyle that needs money to fuel it. By anxiety over what will happen if I make a change. By an image of how I want to be and what I need to get there. Those things are a host of others that enslave us, that capture us, that drive us, that we can't say no that we end up always busy, always striving, always achieving, with never time to rest. Certainly much less than one day in a week to be able to rest, to enjoy what we've been given. I'm well aware that that throws up a whole number of issues that we can't address tonight. Thankfully, this book is truly excellent. Look, Matt's on study leave. I don't have to say this. We can talk about it without it being awkward with him here. Uh, for those who don't know, Matt Fuller, our senior minister, has written this book, uh, Time for Everything, thinking through why is it that we are so busy, so anxious, so burdened, so weary. And I think the two things that make this excellent, he knows the Bible really well, and he knows us really well. So the truth is, Matt uh, was pushed on this book to make it have a wider appeal. Uh, what does this say to the working mother in Hull? And Matt said, I don't know, because I've not met her, and I'm not, I, I want to help my church know how to live in London with the pressures that we know. Matt knows us, he knows the Bible. In particular on these issues, chapters 2 and 3, on what are the things that enslave us, and how Jesus sets us free. Chapter 11, on some of the practical choices that we're free to make in Christ. I know many have read it already, many encouraging conversations with people who've been helped by it, provoked by it. It's five pounds over there. And it makes this sermon quicker, because he's done the work for us. Don't be a slave. Don't be a Pharisee. Don't be a slave. Don't be a slave master. Don't be a slave master. I wonder if this is the part of the commandment that just gets overlooked. Because the commandment says, you shall not do any work. And I, don't, I imagine you're like me. I, I quite like that. It's confusing at times. It's complicated. Sometimes I think I have to. But in principle, the idea of have a day off, I'm all right with that. But the commandment goes on. It doesn't just say you shall not work. It says neither shall your son or your daughter or your manservant or your maidservant or your animals. On this day, the animals aren't allowed to do any work. The whole household, the whole country for them was to rest which means if I was, I'm not, if I was in charge of a big household, maybe running a business out of my home uh, with employees and servants and everything, 
If one of them works on the Sabbath, they haven't broken the commandment. I have. It's my responsibility that my servants, that my employees, don't work six, seven days a week. That I don't treat them as my slave. This commandment says it's far too easy for you to be a slave, but it's far too easy for you to treat other people as your slave. So, uh, I don't have a big household with lots of servants, I imagine none of us do. But the reality is, of course, there are people in a city like London, all sorts of services are offered to us seven days a week. There are people who work through the weekend so that we can enjoy comfort. Now again, it's complicated. This, This commandment doesn't mean, I'm sure, that everyone in the country needs to have the same day off. But it is worth thinking about two examples. Those who work in your building in cleaning or in security, I imagine many of them are working today or have worked today. Are they paid enough that they don't have to get a second job and just work constantly through the week, that they can have a day off, that they can rest? Or are they not? Has your company made them slaves for the company's benefit? I don't know if that is the case. Might it be right just to say someone in HR, we ought to do something about this. We are treating people as slaves. What about maybe more every day, just those you work alongside, whether it's subordinates, whether it's peers, whether it's a boss? The times when we get annoyed with them because they don't reply to something over the weekend, because they go home at six, they can have an evening with the family, when they don't take the laptop on work even though you do, when we're annoyed with them because of those things, I think this command would say, be careful. Because it may be that you're wanting to make them a slave for your benefit. The command would say to us, don't be a Pharisee, don't be a slave, don't be a slave master, and come to Jesus. Come to Jesus, of course. I will finish where we've begun. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus would say, I can carry anything. And at the cross, I did carry everything. Come to me with the things that burden you, with the things that exhaust you. Come to me with the things that enslave you, that have captured your heart so that you can't rest. Come to me and tell me what it's like, and come to me and listen to me. Let me tell you again what I made you for. Let me tell you again what I've done for you. Let me tell you again where you're going. Let me tell you again about rest. Weary, burdened, Jesus would say, come to me. Talk to me, listen to me, and I will give you rest.